buttons in my eyes? Oh, but we need a yes if you want to stay here. So sharp you won't feel a thing. Ow! Hey everybody, welcome to this episode of the Black Case Diaries. How are you guys doing? I'm Adam. I'm Marcy. I'm Robin. All right. <laughs> so, welcome back to yet another week about animation. Hooray! Ooh, 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 ooh. Everyone loves it. Are you sick whoop, of it whoop, yet? Whoop, whoop. Probably nope, never. <laughs> Good, because it's not over. <laughs> Last week we covered the history of stop motion and from the Humpty Dumpty Circus all the way to Wallace and Gromit. This week we're taking a look into the studio that stands out on its own as the leader in stop motion animation. Can you guys guess who it is? No, nope, I'm in the dark on these episodes. <laughs> <laughs> Since its founding in 2005, Laika has been making a name for itself among the animation elite. Though stop motion is not the most popular or cost-effective form of animation, they continue to stun audiences with their technical mastery with each new film they produce. Last week, we talked about Will Vinton, the father of Claymation. This week, we're picking up with the end of his story and the beginning of Laika. We will touch on each of the five movies and what we like uh, about them. <laughs> <laughs> Who wrote that one? Oh, <laughs> I mean, me. <laughs> it, it's brilliant. I mean. Yeah, so last week we did. We talked about stop motion, and we did talk about Will Vinton. We kind of touched on some of the things that he did and his place in the claymation universe and we're going to talk a little bit more about that right now because it pertains specifically to this company so this is going to be really interesting yes at least we hope so (laughs) (laughs) as you might remember from last week will vinton was the oscar-winning animator that created the singing california raisins and the adventures of mark twain in his signature claymation style <laughs> Vinton helped popularize claymation in the late 1970s and 1980s, and without his influence, we likely wouldn't have films such as The Nightmare Before Christmas. Oh, oh yeah. So thank you very much. When his short, Closed Mondays, won an Oscar, it proved the credibility of animation as an art form for adults as well as the viability of claymation. So at that point, Animation was really still, this is for children. Animation is a mm-hmm. children's thing. Mm-hmm. And for some reason, and you know, if you watch Claymation, you understand why. But for some reason, people watch Claymation and there's a, a lot more of an adult quality to it. You could yeah. use it for a lot more grown-up things. Yeah, that's, that's kind of weird how that is. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, animation is animation, right? Right. Mm-hmm. Sure, the the visual styles are different, but... Yeah. You know, the principles, I guess, are pretty much the same or, or at least very close. So I, I wonder why stop motion lends itself to that. It's interesting. He was only 26 at the time, and it was the first time a stop motion film won an Oscar for Best Animated Short. Vinton was quoted saying, After being completely rejected at a local level, we were validated. It's exactly what I had set out to do. Prove that claymation was still viable. Back then, 99% of animation was for children and families, or two-dimensional. This was neither. It was for adults. It wasn't a kiddie film. So many people told us it wasn't going to happen. Just forget it. 
We validated the medium, and it opened doors. Thinking about the way some of these stop-motion animations look, you know, they can be not necessarily creepy, but Mm -hmm. sometimes the characters, especially in clay, and the way they move are a little bit weird. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) They are. Mystical. Yeah, like... You know, Wallace and Gromit is very cute and charming, right? But there are definitely claymations out there that are not what I would describe as cute or charming. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if that's as inherently easy to do with something 2D, you know? Right. You have to... Yeah. yeah. You kind of have to specifically go for that if you're hand drawing something, but claymation is a lot easier to make things be very weird and globby. I mean, mm-hmm. it kind of lends itself to that. Right. And so, it also feels more real to the audience because yeah. you're seeing it in a third dimension, which mm-hmm. I know CGI is a third dimension thing, but there's something about clay when you're seeing it. These are photographs of clay. Mm-hmm. And we all know it and know how it feels, and we all, you know, because we're all so familiar with it, it's yeah. what makes it feel so real to us, you know? Yeah, you, and, and, you can... and I think I think with computerized animation, it's so much more clean looking, right? Mm-hmm. I picture, yeah. you know, the more recent ones like Frozen 2. I know we bring it up all the time. Frozen 2 is so clean and the characters are so smooth and, you know, as perfect as they are meant to be. Right. Whereas Claymation is, it would be a lot harder to do that. Um, yeah. And they're oh, yeah. just, they kind of have this roughness to them whether or not they're supposed yeah. to. So the short closed Mondays, at the time when they were making it, they there were a lot of issues that they ran into. For example their main character kept shaking and they couldn't oh. figure out how to stop that from happening. Weird. So they just made him drunk. Oh. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Solve the problem with a story. It's, it's interesting how you could yeah. do that, you know. Just add Work that little it. extra story to it and it's okay. <laughs> nice. And also, when they had made the film, they had, you know, they were in Oregon, I believe Portland, and they submitted it to a film festival, and the director or the person in charge of the film festival didn't even watch it. Didn't even, oh, uh, you know, really? oh, I'm not interested in claymation. It wasn't his cup of cup wow. of tea. Yeah, and so a friend actually aired the short before a move before movies at the theater, Aww. and that was how oh. people got it. And then they started entering it places, and then eventually it won an Oscar. It, it was an adult concept. It's about a drunk man stumbling mm-hmm. into a closed art museum. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the, the pictures and the sculptures are coming to life for him. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, adults were laughing at it. Adults were interested in it. And it was, you know, kind of a, a, a big moment of vindication for him. It's important to remember how Vinton sought to make animation that was different from mainstream studios. Remember that. Everybody remember that. File <laughs> that be, away. It'll be on the yeah. test. <laughs> <laughs> when Vinton brought on more people to his business, they made it their mission to push claymation as far as they could. They didn't even want to pursue a project if it seemed too easy. And this led to some strange and beautiful animation. 
Absolutely. Very strange. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I mean. It's just a little, a little bit weird sometimes, mm-hmm. but I'm glad yeah. it exists. Yeah. Vinton spent 30 years building his studio and creating memorable characters. At one point, it was worth almost $30 million. In the mid-1980s, his studio was hired by California Raisins to animate their new commercial campaign. Vinton's commercials were so successful, the company saw a 20% increase in sales. And suddenly, ad agencies were, con- were contacting the studio left and right to produce more ads like it. Whoa, nice. Wow. That's yeah. surprising with how creepy they are. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I love them. Honestly, I have yeah. to say that the Herded Through the Grapevine ad yeah. Oh, yeah. makes me want to eat raisins, and I don't like raisins. <laughs> me neither. <laughs> I, I, I don't know why it works, but it does. It does. <laughs> it, I don't know. I mean, it, I don't know the science behind advertisements, <laughs> and I don't know why it worked on me, but it totally did. And I knew it was like, man, I really, I would eat those except that they're gross. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The studio grew to handle the volume of projects for M&M, Domino's Pizza, KFC, and more. They were also hired to animate two TV series. One produced by Eddie Murphy called The PJs. Ah. You guys ever seen The PJs? I don't think I have, actually. I have heard of it, but I don't know of I don't remember I it. I think Thurgood like, Stubbs is the name of the main character. Oh, I interesting. heard that name. Also, you know, if you guys, you know, just remember we mentioned it last week, the Noid for Domino's. Yeah. <laughs> well, Vinton is credited with giving some of the personality to the M&Ms, the red and the red and yellow M&Ms. Yeah. As their project list lengthened, the studio incorporated CGI to help keep up with the popular trends and also to quicken some of the processes. Vinton didn't enjoy CGI as much, since computers weren't as hands-on, and he felt more like a programmer than an animator. Vinton noticed that his veteran claymation animators were taking to CGI, since it also operated in the 3D space. Together, they created a groundbreaking Chips Ahoy commercial that combined the techniques. It was CG that looked like clay. Do, do you guys remember these commercials? Oh, I do. They played Sing 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 in the background. Bum, 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 bum. Yeah. <laughs> Chips Ahoy. Oh, my God. <laughs> While Vinton worked on the PJs, he started to use foam and latex over ball and socket joints to make the characters move more freely. He called this technique foamation. Oh, clever. Yeah. <laughs> After all this success, the studio was forced to expand into a full company to take over the many projects coming their way. The only problem was that Vinton was more of an animator than a businessman, so they hired a new CEO named Tom Turpin. Turpin sought outside funding, and Vinton's legal counsel pointed them in the direction of Phil Knight, the co-founder of Nike. Knight invested $5 million into Vinton's studio. Now owning 15% of the company, Knight approached Turpin and requested that they give his son a job as an intern. Knight's son, Travis, had been trying to make, make a career as a rapper named Chili T. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> what a rapper name, man. That's pretty great. <laughs> Do you think he had any inspiration from Ice-T? <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> I guess, Possibly. yeah, because he's cold and the tea. And- yeah. yeah. Yeah, it just kind of fits, you know. Yeah. 
Even with his own record studio and his dad's connections, Chili just didn't seem to find footing as a rap artist. Vinton Studios welcomed Knight's son, even though he had no experience with animation. They started him off in the CGI department, teaching him how to render details on characters. They called it mop duty. (laughs) (laughs) They put him on. I wish... I wish I could fall into a job like that. Yeah, what a wonderful job! I don't know a thing, but they're like, "Yeah, well, it's a, it's fine. We'll teach you. You don't have to have eight years of experience right out of college. It's not a big (laughs) deal. That would be so nice." And one thing too is that the people that were around him, to to everyone around him, he was an intern. People did not know that Uh, his dad was the one that that paid that owned fifteen percent of the company. That's good. That, yeah. that was probably to his major yeah, benefit. Yeah, so people just, I mean, they treated him like an intern, mm-hmm. and that was, yeah. Nice. In 2001, the company took a few financial hits. First, the two shows that they were working on both were canceled. Then, the events of 9-11 caused a downturn in advertising. The company was in trouble, and they hired a new CEO. This came with massive layoffs and a cultural shift in the company. The new CEO asked Phil Knight for more money, and Knight agreed. This time, though, he bought the company and brought in Nike co-workers as board members. Oh, snap. So the company is hemorrhaging money, and the CEO turns to Phil Knight and says, you know, we need more money. And Phil Knight says, if I'm going to put more money in this, I'm owning it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, especially after $5 million already. <clears throat> yeah. Phil Knight's son, Travis, Chili T, <laughs> had grown into an incredible animator after only a few years of production experience. Knight appointed him to the board. Six months later, Will Vinton stepped down and was fired from his office position. Uh, he was heavily pressured, he said. Uh, he, he said that, yeah, he felt Phil Knight really, really pressured him to step down from the board. And once he did, he was fired from his own company. In his severance, Vinton lost the rights to his entire body of work, including the trademark for claymation. Later, he sued Phil Knight. Vinton felt that he got pushed out of his studio solely because Knight wanted to give his son a company. The case was thrown out, even though Knight admitted that he bought the company with his son in mind. Wow. Fuck. Yeah, so he, and and this Vinton had... Most of like his money was in stocks in the company that he lost, and you know, I mean, yeah, he man. and he had to take a severance package, and he had to pull his kids out of private school, downsize his life, all kinds of stuff. Oh. Will Vinton spent the last few years of his life working on independent projects and teaching at the Art Institute of Portland. He is still revered by animators today for breathing life into clay and stop motion animation. His New York Times obituary quoted a 1987 People magazine interview. There is a point in claymation where you can almost fool yourself into thinking that these things are manipulating themselves, that they're alive. Vinton passed away in October of 2018. Oh, man. Yeah, but you know, it wasn't all doom and gloom. It wasn't all sad. You know, he felt kind of free, able to do whatever he wanted to do. And, you know, he worked on a lot of different projects that I'm not sure if any of them really came to fruition. But, you know, 
in the beginning, once he lost the company, he was more sad. Yeah. But I think as time went on, you know, he, he wished he still had his all of his work that yeah. he'd lost the rights yeah. to. Of course. But he's all uh, he's still been so revered by animators everywhere and everyone recognizes him as somebody who really really helped bring claymation to the spotlight. That's good. That's good. It's at least, nice yeah. to be remembered. Yeah. And you know this is sad, but it's important because this is what this is the stepping stone for what comes next. Yeah, that's right. In the years after Phil Knight acquired Vinton Studio, he poured $180 million into it, which is crazy. He used his influence to bring in animators from other successful studios like Walt Disney, Pixar, and DreamWorks. The company was then rebranded to Leica. Yeah. Which is what we all know. (laughs) On July 20th, 2005, Leica was officially founded. In the beginning, there were two divisions, Leica House for commercial work and Leica Entertainment to focus on feature films. Both of these divisions existed in 2014 when Leica House broke off and created House Special. They are an independent studio focused on creating art in any medium, according to their website. But I uh, yeah, I have never heard of House Special. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, they're cool. You can look them up. Yeah, I, ne- I definitely need to, especially if they came from some cool places. Obviously, they have the <laughs> yeah. talent. In 2008, Leica ran into trouble when a planned animated feature film fell through, and they had to scale back their staff, which sucks. Mm-hmm. Luckily, though, the next planned feature did not fall through, and Leica broke into the scene with a major hit in 2009. And that's something that happened a lot to Will Vinton's studio. You know, they would be making they would be making their stuff, and then they would lose. Somebody would back out. They were losing their projects, and at the time, you know, it was almost like they refused to cut their staff. Yeah. But you know, we got you know the founder of Nike coming in <laughs> with his strong business sense. And uh, he is not afraid to make cuts. But, you know, at the Will Vinton studio, they really didn't want to. They didn't want to lose their staff. It's really hard to do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I, I guess it it worked out for them, right? It's, it was yeah. A, in the end of the day, I guess it worked for the business. On their website, they quote Travis Knight as saying, We're an outlier. We work in... in We work in an industry that is dominated by franchises and sequels and prequels and remakes and reboots, but we're devoted to telling new and original stories. We live in a modern, glossy, high-tech digital world, but we make movies with the most moth-eaten, anachronistic way possible, by using our hands, which is wonderful. Mm Yeah, how poetic, huh? <laughs> really? <laughs> romantic. What a very romantic way to say that. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, you could turn that into lyrics or something, chili tea. <laughs> <Yeah. I> mean, <laughs> it's amazing that even though Vinton lost the studio, Leica still seems to hold on to the values that he placed in his works. Remember how he wanted to make films different from the mainstream? Well, dagnab, they did it. <laughs> it's incredible that Will Vinton's studio was gutted. 
and totally turn into something else. And we have people coming in that have no experience with film. People who, you know, we've got we've got Nike executives, people that are coming in just to because they know how to keep a company running. Mm-hmm. And focusing on, well, we need to make money. Let's make money. You know, we we don't want to make lots of bad business decisions here. But they very easily could have gone to computer animation. Mm -hmm. They very easily could have chosen to do movies about princesses or, you know, bright colors, things that are popular, things that are going to make a lot more money. And they didn't. (laughs) They right. didn't make that choice. They chose to make something that was different than what other studios were doing. And that was a mission statement from far back in the Will Vinton time. Mm-hmm. And even though he was gone, even though they had booted him out of the company, it's amazing that they still have yeah. that mindset. And yeah. a lot of that has to do with Travis, I yeah. think. Yeah, thank goodness. I mean, it, it's kind of like what we talked about in our Disney Exodus episode where, you know, they tried to keep some of that or, or some of the people who had experienced the way it used to be at Disney, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then it started to change and they didn't like it. So somebody like Travis Knight who experienced it as it was, you know, wanted to keep that same thing right. going. Right. You know, mm-hmm. people people see it as Phil Knight kind of just giving his son a job, putting him on the board. Mm-hmm. But and, and yeah, in a way, that's kind of what happened. Mm-hmm. But inadvertently, he picked somebody for the board that would be perfect, because even though a few years ago he had n- no knowledge of animation at all. None. Now he's really good at it and he learned from the best. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Interning's a good way to do that. Mm-hmm. All right, so the first movie that we're going to talk about is Coraline. When Travis Knight, you know, Chili T, <laughs> was asked to reflect on Laika's beginning, he chose to speak about their first film, Coraline. He recalled how excited he and the team were because, one, it was a solid team. They brought in Henry Selleck, you know, that acclaimed producer and director of Nightmare Before Christmas, to direct... Two, an imaginative idea, the best-selling book by Neil Gaiman. And three, a process that had room to grow in the future. Very nice. The ultimate triple threat. Yeah. yeah. His optimism was well-placed, but in the practical sense was difficult to portray as a winner to film studios. They all had their doubts, and Travis Knight heard them all. Mm. Some examples of these doubts were (laughs) stop motion is not a viable filmmaking medium. Everyone knows you can't have an animated film with a female protagonist (laughs) unless she's a princess or a fairy, of course. (laughs) No boy's going to go see a film with a girl's name in the title. No girls will see it either. The damn thing's too scary. Teens aren't interested in animation. Adults see animation as a babysitter. They don't want their kids to be challenged. Those don't sound real. (laughs) Those sound like somebody making fun of someone who doesn't like animation. Yeah, That's what that sounds like. 
It was yeah. <laughs> it was very well portrayed by your attitude there, Marcy. It sounded very good. <laughs> well, thank you. you know, I just, I but, but yeah, it's like it's like a troll just like trying to get a rise out of mm-hmm. somebody. These are ideas that are still prevalent today, and you know, for a reason. The movies about princesses make a lot of money, guys. Yeah. <laughs> so That's right. The, the movies that are bright and sunny and happy, they do. They make a lot of money. <laughs> this is not a crazy thing for people to say. Yeah. But, you know, it is kind of insane to hear things like, no boy will see a movie with a girl's name in the title. Yeah. You know, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So after hearing all of these sentiments on what stop motion can and cannot be, they finally found Focus Features and Universal to produce and distribute the movie. Thank God. I know. Hooray. <laughs> yeah. Hell yeah. Coraline follows the story of an 11-year-old girl who discovers a door in her new house that leads to an alternate world. This world is much like the one she comes from, but the differences are fantastical. Coraline finds herself enjoying this new world and returns often until the alternate version of her mother the other mother, tries to get her to stay there forever. She must find a way to escape back through the door and save the souls of other children who have been trapped in there as well. Beating her is my only chance. Perhaps if you do win your escape, you could find our eyes. Has she taken those two? Yes, miss, and hidden them. Find our eyes, mistress, and our souls will be freed. My goodness. Yes, this movie is strange. It's so weird and it's wonderfully weird. Yes. Oh, so good. Yeah, there's so much in it and it's just so detailed. And, you know, you've got this this character who's so strong, such a strong Mm -hmm. character, you know, exactly her attitude about everything. (laughs) I love Wybie. Oh, her you friend, know yeah. her friend and the cat. Yes, mm-hmm. the cat is amazing. <laughs> I mean, cats are always amazing. Yes, the cats so. are always amazing. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, parts of this are pretty terrifying too. Oh yeah, gosh. Mm-hmm. It stars Dakota Fanning, Terry Hatcher, Jennifer Saunders, Don French, Keith David, John Hodgman, Robert Bailey Jr., and Ian McShane. Nice. Very nice. Each character within the film had multiple puppets, which were 3D printed. Coraline's character had 28 copies. The facial features alone added up to 200,000 possible expressions. Ooh. A lot. Coraline was shot in 3D, which typically calls for two cameras, one to shoot for the left eye and one for the right. Since the scale in films such as Coraline are much smaller than that of, say, Spy Kids 3D or Avatar. (laughs) The greatest. (laughs) The team had to come up with a way to get two shots. To resolve this, they created an automatic slide mount for the camera that would allow them to take the shot for one eye, slide to take the other eye, and then slide back to the original position. Genius. That's awesome (laughs) (laughs) yes because it's such minimal movement in a way althea chrome this Mm. is a name that you will want to remember because (laughs) althea hand knitted each of Coraline's sweaters oh my god my god yes 
She is a knitter that specializes in tiny knitted clothing. <laughs> in this case, to fit a doll that was not even 10 inches tall. Each sweater took about two weeks to create. Wow. Man, I, how, how much do you think? She, I mean, she had to have been like, my time has finally come. <laughs> this is my yes. call to action. Yeah. How long had she been refining her skills so that she could knit tiny little sweaters? <laughs> and, yeah. and all the haters, all the haters are like, Althea, man. You are wasting your time. Yeah, what are you <laughs> doing? What are you doing? You can't even wear that on your finger. I can't. Why are you making these tiny, tiny little baby sweaters? And then one day, her moment came. It came. It came. I, I will show all of you. <laughs> <laughs> My people need me. <laughs> yeah. And you got to think that... One of the sweaters had little stars on it. It was a starred sweater. So it wasn't oh, just yeah. one color. I can't even do that with it regular size stars. yarn. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> How did she do that? Oh, my God. She's, she's the chosen one. Beautiful. She did a great job. This film took almost four years to create from script to screen with 150 stages slash sets. Wow. Damn. Yeah. Coraline brought in a whopping $124.6 million at the box office. In that respect, it is still Leica's most successful film to date. Wow. Ooh. Wow. Yeah. I, you know, looking at some of these other movies, you can still kind of, you know, as good as they are, as soon as you, you look at Coraline, you kind of get, like, they, you can kind of understand why it's still the, the best one or the most popular one or, or the most successful, mm-hmm. right? Because it's it's got that following, right? It's got that that presence yeah. mm-hmm. that people just remember. Like you got a nightmare fans of the book, Christmas. yeah, yeah, right. exactly. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. it just it just continues and it builds this fandom that will remember it forever. And and not only that, but it when it came out, it probably helped. That it already existed, people were familiar. You know, you got this director right. and mm-hmm. and the story that it's based on. So, yeah, Neil Gaiman is a heavy hitting name. Mm-hmm. You know, you you find out that the story is based off something from him, you're like, oh, well, then I'll go see it. Absolutely. <laughs> you know, best selling yeah. author. It's really hard to be best selling author, and <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's true. <laughs> The combination of Gaiman's strong storytelling and the medium's complex realism worked incredibly well for the film. The dark subject matter is perfect for Clay, a material that can cover every range of emotion. The stranger moments of the film harken back to Will Vinton's Adventures of Mark Twain, and we can see how the studios are related. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, you look at scenes with the other mother and how grotesque those facial expressions Ooh, yeah, can be. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And you can think about Mark Twain, but way back, you know, Google <laughs> it, it's on YouTube. You know, go back to Mark Twain and, you know, how strange and creepy that was. And you could see how these things, you know, have built on each other. Yeah. 
it's really, you know, it's really nice. At least, you know, at least there's these like fingerprints, you know, yeah. these footprints left <laughs> in this entirely new studio. But there's still some stuff in it, you know, mm-hmm. that that is there because of him. After the success of Coraline, the studio scaled back once again and decided to solely focus on stop motion. With the next four major releases, Leica has continued to prove that it is an innovating leader in stop motion. So actually, Leica thought they were going to make CG movies as well. Not just because, you know, Will Vinton was doing CG stuff. Yeah. And so not just stop motion, they thought they would do both. But when that one movie fell through, they they decided, yep, stop motion. This did really well. We're riding the stop motion train yeah. all the way to Money Town. Yeah, I mean, and it, and it and it really works because it no one else is doing it like them, and that's mm-hmm. that's such a good way to stand out. Like like a Pixar, you know, no exactly, one else is doing yeah. it like yeah. them. It's just it's such a good way to do it, and we love them for it. Yeah, mm-hmm. that same year, Travis, the artist formerly known as Chili T was promoted to CEO of Leica and has remained in the position ever since. Wow. Good what, for him. What a yeah. step up, huh? Yeah, you start out being an amateur rapper and you end up being the CEO of one of the biggest animation studios out there. <laughs> you know, guys, I, I think that might be the secret. We, we, all, we all should start amateur rap careers. Yeah, my man Chili T, he is really, <laughs> a, I mean, he's a great storyteller. He's a wonderful animator. Yeah. He's very passionate about what he does. And, I mean, he's just really fortunate that he, you know, ended up, just kind of fell into a career that he happened to be absolutely perfect for. Mm-hmm. And he's doing wonderful things with the company. You know, it. You know, he might have gotten there because of nepotism, but I mean, he certainly deserves to be there. Yeah, I, yeah. he started off as an intern and, and mm-hmm. kind of proved himself there. Yeah, so. it's not like he walked in there and yeah was barking orders at people like I'm the boss's son. I yeah. don't need to. I not, own this place. It's not like he did that. <laughs> I'm going to go back to my estate. <laughs> we digress. On. Yeah. <laughs> Moving on, they went, they moved forward with the stop motion. And like a followed up Coraline with another hit, Paranorman, in 2012. Yeah. Woo. It was like his first original film that was brought to life by co director and writer Chris Butler and, follow, and follows a young, compassionate boy with the ability to talk to the dead. <laughs> Norman learns that, th- that his town is under a curse and that the dead will rise from their graves and wreak havoc on the town because of his unique ability he is the only one that can stop it and he must summon his courage to save his friends and neighbors as you do i I don't know what any of it means it means the past is coming back to haunt you time is running out the anniversary of the witch's death is tonight a ghost is going to wake up and when she does she'll raise the dead so have you guys seen this no i no, have not. i haven't actually all right mm. so paranorman is really sweet oh. it's yeah it's a really interesting movie i love the concept the concept about this this young kid who can speak to the dead and he's not afraid of the dead hmm. doesn't freak him out 
He okay. talks to them like they're his friends, uh-huh. and he kind of prefers their company over that of the living. <laughs> he, yeah, right. he's the weird kid. People don't understand him. His dad doesn't understand him. And, uh, you know, it, it's such an interesting dynamic, right? It's, mm-hmm. it's like he talks to the dead, but it's not, it's not scary. It's not a scary thing, mm. you know? And uh, there's lots of these, you know, stereotypical kind of characters. You've got the cheerleader and the jock and that kind of mm. stuff. But then the movie actually really subverts those stereotypes and flips things on their oh, heads. Cool. Yeah, and it's it's really interesting. I, I think that they did a really good job with those characters making really strong characters mm-hmm. especially norman i think he's you know obviously the main character who's very very strong and yeah. you've got you know i think this is one of those movies that would have benefited if it could have been longer mm-hmm. i think that the story could have flourished a lot more if there was more time but when you know when you're making something like this, this is oh yeah yeah you don't exactly you trim want to the fat. add on <laughs> Minutes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because those minutes become years. Yes, <laughs> exactly. So yeah, but Paranorman is it is a good movie. I recommend it. Yeah, I definitely want to check it out. I I gotta go see if it's streaming anywhere. So this movie stars as the wonderful voices Cody Smith McPhee, Tucker Albrezi, Anna Kendrick, Casey Affleck, Christopher Mintz plays. Leslie Mann, Jeff Garland, and Elaine Stritch. Nice. This was the first film where a color 3D printer was used in order to reduce human error and the amount of time it would take to hand paint facial expressions. And Leica continued to use this technology with all of their later films. Which nice. Which is yeah. awesome. This movie took three years from script to screen, so you can see that they did save some time there. From With that 3D printer. Oh, oh yeah. Probably yeah. some other innovations too that might have sped it up too. Yeah, and they were just mm-hmm. they were just getting good at it, so they knew what mm-hmm. they were doing. Sixty cameras captured four hundred thousand frames of animation. Whew. Wow. And get this, a hundred and seventy-eight puppets were used, and compared to Coraline's two hundred thousand expressions, Norman had one point five million different expressions holy mackerel you're thinking about how they're stepping up their game from one movie to the next Mm -hmm. i mean this is even just from the first movie to the second movie yeah Mm -hmm. and you know it, it it says a lot about committing to all of those different expressions because something that really brings animation to life is subtlety Right? Mm-hmm. When, yeah. when you, if you ever look at a poorly made animation, I'm, they're all over YouTube. <laughs> <laughs> you can, one of the big things that I always notice is the whoever's talking or whoever the camera is focused on is moving and it's animated fine, but everything in the background is kind of standing there static, right? Mm-hmm. But, mm-hmm. but with 1.5 million different expressions, you can have characters in the background stay alive in the scene right so they're like they're full-on actors at this point yeah Mm -hmm. with with how much how much emotion they can bring to it and it Mm -hmm. it, and it's amazing and it brings the everything to a whole nother level yeah Mm -hmm. and and you know 
thinking about using 3D printing for this, which is a really awesome technology, they kind of still have some of the whispers of CG technology mm-hmm. in there mm-hmm. because they have to model these characters in order for them to be 3D printed. So That's even true. though they don't do yeah. their CG movies anymore, they kind of still got some of that that spirit in there. Grossing $107 million, it made less than Coraline, but earned an Oscar nomination, which is pretty yeah. great. Nice. Get some Oscar love. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, when the Academy pretty recognizes... Pretty much all their movies do. Yeah, they do. Yeah, that's true. That's true. <laughs> so, we're going to scoot on forward. Box Trolls is based yes. on Here Be Monsters. By Alan Snow, which is an adventure book about magic, trolls, and various creatures. An orphan boy named Eggs lives with the box trolls, a group of mischievous and unique creatures that live beneath the city. When an evil man devises a plan to exterminate the creatures, Eggs heads above ground where he meets a girl named Winifred, and they team up to save the trolls. How wholesome is that? (laughs) People of the upper world, Archibald Snatcher has lied to you all. He told you that box trolls are monsters, that they steal children, but they don't. They would never hurt anyone. Yeah, it's really sweet. Yeah. Honestly, the model of the trolls is incredible. Yeah. You know, the way they move and how they, you know, they can constantly collapse into boxes. <laughs> you know, as you yeah, know what I mean? Yeah, that's so clever. Yeah, it's very cute. Yeah, they definitely, I love their design. Mm-hmm. It's awesome. So this one stars Isaac Hampstead Wright, L. Fanning, Ben Kingsley, Nick Frost, Richard Ioade, Tracy Morgan, D. Bradley Baker, and Steve Bloom. Nice. That, Those are some funny names. Heck yeah, yeah man. <laughs> and and another thing about this, you know, this studio is based in Portland, Oregon, but this movie is in England. So they did get a few British people to mm-hmm. be in this <laughs> to help with those voices. Oh yeah. I'm sure it fits well. This is some yeah. some talented people. 20,000 props were handmade in 70 sets as well. That's <laughs> so cool. The main characters had just over 1 million facial expressions. That 3D yeah. printing coming in real handy. <laughs> the two-minute dance sequence took 18 months to animate. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> just... It's got to feel so good when you're done, though. Mm. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? It's like when you're setting up all those dominoes. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, yeah. This movie contained 185 handmade puppets with interchangeable faces, which is the coolest thing ever. Actually, didn't know. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Actually, didn't know that was how they did it for a long time. Just like, yeah, they were just... Cha- like I don't know, sculpting the faces over and over. I don't know, but yeah. I just didn't realize you could just take it off and put in the new face. But it <laughs> makes so much sense. Mm-hmm. Technology increased yet again. 
In an article by Dave Trumbor, he states that the meeting point between practical stop-motion animation and computer-aided effects came ever nearer in the box trolls. For example, one of Leica's texture painters, Tori Bryant, used her traditional painting techniques to tweak the painting software into layering the available colors in order to produce blended finished pieces that were far beyond what the printer designers thought the software and their machines could do. Which is yeah. incredible to think about. It having, is, and you can yeah. really see it in in the trolls' faces. If you look closely, you can see the blended, the blended paint. Essentially, is yeah. what, you know, is what it kind of looks like. Yeah. Yeah, I'm so curious as to how their printers work because I, <laughs> you know, I always thought they had to be printed, you know, one color at a time. But I guess these are some fancy mm-hmm. devices here. Yeah. A little tension rose when it was one of the films nominated for an Oscar for the best animated feature over the Lego movie. Over the Lego movie. And that's saying a lot because that's a really good movie. Mm Mm-hmm. Box Trolls made just a little more than Paranorman Worldwide, grossing $109 million. Moving up a little bit there. Did a little bit better. Yep. Yeah. So let's go on to their next movie, Kubo and the Two Strings. Yay. Their best movie. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. It seems there is a pattern here, for with Kubo and the Two Strings, we return to an original story idea by their character designer, Shannon Tyndall. It was strengthened and enriched with the help of screenwriters Mark Hames and Chris Butler. Ooh, what an original story it is. Oh, yes, yeah. Oh, yeah. What a, what a fun tale. Kubo is a young boy who loves to play his magical instrument and tell stories to the people of his town while looking after his mother. After accidentally summoning a vengeful spirit, he must go on the run and joins forces with Monkey and Beetle to help him unlock a secret legacy and battle the Moon King to save his family and discover the truth about what happened to his father, a great samurai warrior. Sometimes I would tell my mother stories about little things, like skimming rocks across the river or catching fireflies in the mulberry fields. And when I told those stories, I could see her eyes were mostly clear. I could tell she saw me, really saw me. I could see her too, her real self, her spirit, trying to find its way out. It was beautiful. If you are listening and you have not seen Kubo and the Two Strings, you need to watch Kubo and the Two Strings. Yes. Oh, yeah. It a fantastic movie. It is so... What do you guys think? Uh, uh, I agree. It's uh, absolutely <laughs> theaters, wonderful. Heck, yeah. I remember we went to go see this at... It was the, the premiere. We went into the theater and there was only one other set of people. Wow. It was completely empty. Mm. And uh, it was kind of heartbreaking. Yeah. And, and I thought at the time, well, maybe people just didn't realize that they were doing a showing tonight. Mm-hmm. And uh, it turns out that this movie didn't do very well at the box office. It's such a shame. It stars Art Parkinson, Charlize Theron, Brenda Vaccaro, Carrie, Carrie Hiroyuki 
Tagawa. I'm so sorry. <laughs> Matthew McConaughey, George Takai, Rooney Mara, and Ralph Fiennes. Very nice. Of course, Very he plays good. the bad guy. Just yes. in case you're <laughs> Ralph Fiennes is either a dashing love interest yes. or Voldemort. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is the first movie that Travis Knight made his directional debut. Like I said, Chili T's got skills, man. Oh, yeah, man. Kubo and the Two Strings contains the largest creation that Laika has ever made. A skeleton character that stands 16 feet tall, wingspan of 23 feet, and weighs 400 pounds. Whew. That's a lot. Dang. That's a very big creation for making <laughs> such tiny little characters. Yeah. <laughs> you know, get this gigantic skeleton. Yeah. Oh my God. The, there are moments in this movie it's just breathtaking. The visuals mm. are, I'm just blown away. I remember watching this and thinking that's the, this is stop motion. I think it was the first movie I've ever watched that was stop motion where I forgot it was stop motion. Yeah. Like halfway through the movie. <laughs> yep. It just elevated. It was such a wonderful, wonderful movie. Yeah. It took five years from script to screen. I also read, though, that the movie itself, the whole production, was about ten years long. So this wow. was like oh a my goodness. decade wow. of work. Wow. Yeah. But from the written script to screen, it was five, five years. years. Phew. Despite his critical acclaim, masterful storytelling, and stunning visuals, Kubo and the Two Strings grossed $70 million worldwide. That's $30 million uh, less than yeah. the box trolls. What a bummer. If you don't like stop motion, but if you're ever going to watch one stop motion movie, yeah. make it Kubo and the Two Strings. <laughs> Pick yeah. that one. Yeah. yeah. If there's ever going to be one for you to watch, this is it right here. This is Yeah. <laughs> yep, I mean, for it's, sure. it's absolutely incredible. And I'm really glad that them not making a lot of money didn't deter them from continuing. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because, yeah. Because what a fantastic original story. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. RogerEbert.com lauded the film for giving its young audience credit and gave the film 3.5 out of 4 stars. It said, Above all else, Kubo and the Two Strings is fittingly about storytelling and its capacity to transform and connect us. The timelessness of the film gives it an overall feeling of cinematic grace, with obvious nods to greats ranging from Kurosawa and Miyazaki to Spielberg and Lucas. The resonance of the performances from its excellent voice cast give it an immediate emotional punch. Yes, sirree. Oh, yeah. It is, yes. it is absolutely wonderful. And yeah, this is yeah. It was it was robbed at the Oscars. <laughs> if this if there was a like a movie that was gonna win an Oscar, yeah, this yeah. this is the one. Yeah. This should have done it. But I mean, and I love all the other ones. Don't get me wrong. But I'm mm -hmm. just saying. Right. I mean, they really stepped it up to a whole new level with this movie. The writing. I, th that's the thing is because every single one of these movies and we've talked about it as we've gone through they're all masterpieces of stop motion they're always stepping it up one more every single time oh, yeah. but they're not always stepping it up with their story every single time mm -hmm. and that's where this that's where the studio really kind of 
has a little more they have a little more trouble with their footing with this movie with the storytelling and the stop motion mastery i mean it's this is a masterpiece (laughs) (laughs) so now we'll move on to their last film missing link Mr. Link is an eight-foot-tall, friendly, fur-covered mammal who enlists the help of Sir Lionel Frost to escort him safely to his rumored relatives. He pursues the journey to the mystical Shangri-La, trying to combat the loneliness of being the only one of his kind in the Pacific Northwest. Joined by Adelina Fortnite, the three travel together and find family where it is least expected. Oh, yes. I'll prove the existence of not just one, but an entire evolutionary branch of missing links. Imagine the headlines then. Oh, well, you you really mean that you're going to take me? Of course. I give you my word. Okay, what is it? What? Your word. It's a figure of speech. Sounds good. What is it? The word, my dear fellow, is trust. This film stars Hugh Jackman... Zoe Saldana, Zach Galifianakis, Timothy Oliphant, Emma Thompson, and Stephen Fry. Another incredible voice cast. That's, yes. Yeah, that is one place they are definitely not mm-hmm. skipping out on. This was such a... I Honestly, the word that comes to mind for me, besides the fact that it was obviously the most advanced stop-motion movie oh, ever, because yeah. you know each one comes out and it's more advanced than the last, but it was cute. It was. Mm-hmm. That's that's the word that comes to mind for me. The characters it's were cute, cute. The story was cute. Yeah. Some people might not see that as a good word <laughs> to describe a movie, but I, I just yeah. it's the best one I could think of. I know. I describe it as a uh, Saturday afternoon movie. Yeah. That's what what I. I could see myself <laughs> watching this with my kids probably yeah. over and over again. <laughs> oh yeah. Because you know how kids are. <laughs> oh yeah, they'll watch it a million times. Yeah. Over if if they like it. Hey, it's better than watching. Frozen. So as we talked about before, often with stop motion animation, the direction taken is dark because of the art aspects like the rigid movements of puppets. Missing Link is the first film where Leica truly deviates from this formula, opting for a more colorful film and Sherlock Holmes meets Indiana Jones feel, using the advances in technology, skill, and expertise picked up since Coraline. This film had 110 sets, and the VFX team, supervised by Steve Emerson, used CG to increase believability in scenes. That makes sense. So, Chris Butler, whom you may remember directed some of these films, Mm -hmm. was asked about the CG and its combination with stop motion for Missing Link. And he said, the innovations that we've come up with on the last four movies, have enabled us to come up with solutions for the challenge of making a much bigger movie here. Everything comes from a physical asset, and I think that's how we maintain a believable coexistence of digital and practical. That's awesome. Yeah. I th- yeah, it's great. A coexistence is honestly perfect. Yeah. Yeah. It works. Yeah. I like that. I like that as a solution instead of mm-hmm. one really taking over the other. Right. Yeah. You know, we can find a place for either one. Yeah. Yeah. It would nice be nice medium. Right. It w- it would be real sad if like a uh, just switched over just because they didn't make as much oh money. Oh my gosh. I'd be heartbroken. Seriously. <laughs> From script to screen, 
this film took about five years as well. Wow. So, Missing Link, it's not a secret. It was a flop. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. It, it, it was a financial catastrophe. That's what I'll say. Mm-hmm. It made, I think, $17 million <sighs> domestically. And Leica actually fired their CFO oh, after wow. this movie because it did so poorly. They, yes. Oh, man. Yeah. They had done extensive ad campaigns. I remember there were billboards everywhere. Oh, yeah. For this. And, yeah, people just... Here's the thing. There's a few things, I think, that worked against it. One, again, stop motion. Not the most popular form. Mm -hmm. People are used to it being dark and weird, though. And this one wasn't. So it was a nice choice, I think. They tried to kind of make it show us something a little different. And I think that was... At least I'm glad they tried. Mm-hmm. I think there's that. Also, Yetis are a big thing right now, so they had a lot to compete yeah. with. Yeah. There were mm-hmm. multiple films with a similar seeming... Right. For some reason, some... there's Abominable Snowmen, mm-hmm. right? There was Smallfoot, Abominable. Yeah. Uh, yeah, just a big <laughs> some influx of movies about... <laughs> About like everybody has Bigfoot. the same idea at the same time. Yeah, it's so strange how that how that happens, but it does it does happen. And so I, I still think I still think that even though they did all those ads, it didn't reach the mainstream audience as much. Yeah. So stop motion is still popular. It's gaining popularity, even though CG is faster and more budget friendly. More studios are beginning to do it. Isle of Dogs is another good one. <laughs> Yes, there's, ah, there's been yes. so far, Wes Anderson has done, I think, two stop-motion movies. Mm-hmm. Heck yeah. And Netflix is now starting to do some more stop-motion. If you guys remember The Little Prince, that was a, yeah. I believe that was a stop-motion film. And uh, besides that, they have two upcoming projects that are, you know, that are probably going to be pretty good. One of them, ah. I believe, is going to be directed by Henry Selick, and the other, oh. yes, and and... The other one, I think, is going to be, at least in some capacity, Guillermo, Guillermo del Toro is going ah. to be associated with that as well. Nice. And it's going to be a retelling of Pinocchio. Oh, so, oh boy, that'll yes. be interesting. Mm. Yes. And so because Leica has, lost, has made less and less money with each film, it's not really certain that audiences are actually really interested in going to see their movies. At least they can't see... If that's true or not, because yeah. the, the numbers are dwindling, uh, and so over time there might become a, might come a chance that they might start to do this stuff for you know just streaming services like Netflix and things yeah. like that. I don't know if that's ever going to happen, but I mean, it, Netflix is very successful, and you know if if they're able to make competitive stuff for a company like Leica, which you know animators that work for Leica are also working on these Netflix projects too. Yeah, well, let's let's hope it hope we'll it see. takes off in a in a new way and yeah. like yeah. if any if anyone associated with Leica is listening, keep going, please. <laughs> please. Yeah. yeah. You know, I think with Missing Link, I, I'm not sure what happened. There's something missing. Yeah. You guys missed something. <laughs> I don't know why people didn't go see it. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I... But I mean, yeah, hopefully things will improve because they've only come out with five movies. And so they're working on a sixth one right now. We don't know a name, a release date, or a synopsis. Anything at all, really. They're they're very secretive. We just know that they're doing a sixth one. All right. I'm so excited to see what it is. Yeah. 
All right, so I think that'll just about wrap it up for this episode. Um, we did we did ask on Twitter what some people thought about Leica and some of their movies, and we got some replies that we wanted to mention here. Um, our friend JD said, I was blown away by Missing Link. I've watched it several times since it's on Hulu. Oh, that's good to know. Yay. And Coraline is one of my favorites because I love Gaiman. But Kubo and the Two Strings is on another level, which we agree with. I mean, it just is. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and also our friend M from Verbal Diorama said, obviously Kubo and the Two Strings is my favorite. It's except it's exceptional filmmaking on every level with a little heart. <laughs> so, Actually, could you read that in a British accent for us, Adam? Um, yeah. Obviously, Kubo and the Two Strings <laughs> is my favorite. It's exceptional <laughs> filmmaking on every level. <laughs> don't I'm forget, sure, the, I'm sure Em will. Don't heart, the little heart, though, Adam. Heart emoji. <laughs> I'm sure Em will appreciate that. <laughs> Let me know how I did. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, don't tell me how I did because I'll feel bad about it. <laughs> but thanks, guys, for your oh. responses. Um, they, they. Yes, we agree. Yes. Yes. Good job on being correct. Yes, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> so, everyone out there, go watch all of these movies. They're all worth your time, but especially Kubo and the Two Strings if you can only watch yes. one. Mm-hmm. But. Yeah. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. Um, Thank you. Yes, we appreciate it. You can check us out at blackcasediaries.com to find all of our previous episodes, all that stuff. We've got a Redbubble store um, that you can get to from there as well. A Patreon, patreon.com slash blackcasediaries. And if you're interested in talking to us, you can do so on Instagram at blackcasediariespodcast or Twitter at blackcasediary. Shoot us an email. Leave us a review. We'd appreciate anything you do for us. It means a lot. Thank you. Yes. So thank you, everyone, for watching. We will see you next time. For listening. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Thank you, everyone, for listening. (laughs) Thanks for listening, guys. (laughs) Bye. 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 What if our world is just like a tiny speck? A tiny little speck. And there are giants looking down on us. And every time we move... It's actually them moving us. Seems a bit tedious. Like that, just there, me blinking. That would have taken them a day. Me moving my arm. 500 men. I mean, none of them are going home. They're having to do this bit.